Good morning. A shepherd needs, needed, in biblical times, a shepherd needed to know how to use a staff and a rod. A staff provided personal support and was also used to pick up sheep. A rod was used to protect sheep from predators. In this morning's passage, we find Paul wielding both rod and staff in order to provide for and to protect his flock. We continue to work our way through 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians um, chapter 6, verse 11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. The Corinthians had developed a heart problem. What I mean by that, they had lacked commitment. They developed a lack of commitment to Paul and his mission. They had become distant emotionally. And why did that happen? They had become entangled with other spiritual authorities, and because of their relationship with the other spiritual authorities, their affection for Paul uh, diminished. This spiritual affair, again, had dampened their affection for Paul. And when Paul writes, we have spoken freely to you, what he means is that he has spoken openly and frankly with them and continues to do so. He tells them our heart is wide open, which implies that he had loved them. He made room for them in his heart. He cared about them, and not only had he loved them, but he continued to do so. He has opened his heart to them. But what he's saying, he accuses them of closing their hearts to him. Given the affection he and his ministry team had lavished on these Corinthian believers, it's only appropriate, according to Paul in his thinking, that they should return the affection in kind. And he gets to the root of the issue in verse 14. He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What he's describing is a double harness yoke, which was used in agriculture. So two different animals would put and draw a um, farm implements and what he's saying here, he is envisioning two different types of individuals drawing a, put their necks in through this yoke. Uh, it's important to understand, it's easy, it might be easier to understand when it's applied to agriculture, but what does it mean when Paul uses it by saying, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers? I think it's important to understand what both what it doesn't mean and what it does mean. This verse is used to prohibit Christians from associating with non-Christians. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers has been used in some senses, in some cases, individuals saying you should separate yourself from those who don't believe as you believe. And this isn't Paul's point. Um, we know this from a previous letter. In fact, the first letter to the Corinthians, what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 10, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. And Paul's 
point is that he's not telling them to not be with individuals who are not as devout as they, because then they'd have to separate themselves. And that's not Paul's point. This verse is also used um, to ban marriage with non-Christians. And in fact, this was an application of what it meant to be unequally yoked. It was used to describe getting married to a member of a foreign nation. If you were a Jew being married to someone who believed in a God other than the one you believed in. Um, however, I don't, this is not what Paul is talking about in this passage. He's not specifically thinking about not being with non-Christians. Neither is he thinking here about being married to an unbeliever. We find clues to what he's thinking in the verses that follow. That's what it says in verse 14. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Like what's happening here, Paul is warning them against following the beliefs and practices of false spiritual authorities. Let me explain. In the second century BC, the influence of Greek culture on Jews and Judaism was profound. Many Jews lived little differently than their Gentile neighbors, and a group of devout individuals called the Hasidim rose up, and what they wanted to do is bring the thinking of Jewish individuals back to Judaism. Uh, they insisted then, the Hasidim, they insisted on strict observance of Jewish laws, which had people had become lax in following. Um, and these the Hasidim, they were devout men, and they ended up being catalysts of a Jewish revolt, which for a short period of time pushed off the oversight of the Greek Empire, and Israel was then a sovereign nation, not under the power of another power until Rome, and then defeated them once again. But the Hasidim, which had evolved during this time, it ended up, when they went back under Roman dominion, to be separated into two groups. There were the Essenes, and there were the Pharisees. And this becomes important as we try to figure out what Paul is thinking when he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Um, the Essenes were a group, they felt that Israel was so corrupt at the time and the temple practices were so corrupt that they advocated anybody who really wants to be devout a devout Jew and really be serious about their faith in God. They needed to get out of Israel. They needed to go and, and separate themselves into almost like communal type of uh, places. And in fact, there was one that existed in a place called Qumran where we found a lot of clay pots with ancient biblical texts um, in them. The Essenes withdrew again to live in desert communities. And if you think of somebody who would believe or function like an Essene, you might think of someone like John the Baptist, who um, was lived out in the wilderness, and he, he was very forcefully, he separated himself. That was the Essenes. The Pharisees were another group. 
they thought that the solution of the Essenes was a little bit too separatistic. Again, they were part of the Hasidim as well, but while the Essenes say you have to get out of Israel and you have to get into these communes, the Pharisees said, no, you don't really need to go that far. Um, They sidestepped the temple's problems and they remained an active part of Jewish life, but what the Pharisees believed, they insisted on eating their meals in a state of purity, they believed that you could honor God by being devout in your home. You didn't have to go to the temple. You didn't have to do the sacrifices. What you could do, you could do the things that God told you to do within the sanctity of your home. So you had to tithe, and you had to pray, and you had to fast, and you had to give alms. And if you did all those things, you could observe those commands and not be as involved in the temple. Um, So when Paul talks then about do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, I think what he's thinking of is he's warning them against the type of separatistic beliefs that the Essenes practiced. Um, The reason why I think this is that when these Essenes talked about Satan, they used the word which Paul uses here to describe him, Belial. That is a word, that's a term that the Essenes used to describe Satan. And so Paul is, I think, what is happening here. He's cautioning the Corinthians not to be taken in by these pseudo-Christian Jewish separatists. This fits the image of a double-sided yoke. A yoke was used as a term to describe coming under the authority of a rabbi. So when Paul went to Jerusalem to be trained as a Pharisee, he came and entered as a disciple under the rabbi Gamaliel. And so when Paul then came into that relationship with Gamaliel, it would he would have described as it as coming under the yoke of Gamaliel. That's it described the the, the educational process when a disciple sat under the authority of a rabbi, and um, they did, he did so, Paul would have done so for 10 to 15 years. Um, so I think Paul's point here then is that Corinthians can't take upon themselves the yoke of Christ to believe and practice as Jesus would have had them practice, and as Paul, as Jesus' representative, would have had them practice. They can't be under Paul's yoke and be under the yoke of these Jewish separatists at the same time. This is what Jesus did. When Jesus, well, listen to this verse in Matthew 11, Jesus said, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When Jesus describes the yoke, the experience of those who come underneath his authority. He doesn't describe it as being weary and burdened. He indicates that 
I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To, for individuals then to come underneath the authority of Jesus spiritually was to come underneath the authority of one whose burden, whose teaching did not bring a sense of weighty obligation and expectation. It was not, we talked about the word foggy. It was not characterized by fear, obligation, and guilt. Um, However, the experience of coming under the authority of the Pharisees or the Essenes was very heavy. And here's what um, Jesus said in Matthew 23. says, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Jesus distinguishes his yoke, what it was like to be underneath his spiritual authority. He contrasts that with what it was like to be under the spiritual authority of the Pharisees. It was a very different experience. One was characterized as light and gentle. The other one as heavy and burdensome. So try to bring this together then. When Paul says, do not be unequally yoked, with unbelievers, he's cautioning the Corinthians against coming under the yoke of spiritual authorities who place them under the weight of the old covenant because the old covenant obligations are heavy. And Jesus came to replace the old covenant with the new covenant. And that's why when Paul writes then in verse 16, 2 Corinthians 6, what agreement has the temple of God with idols. For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Well, Paul's saying, since they have new covenant promises, he's warning them to continue to understand that they are under a new covenant and he's telling them not to allow themselves to go under the authority of someone who would believe that God still functions by old covenant degrees, decrees. He's urging them not to allow themselves to think that God still relates to them from Mount Sinai and to understand that God relates to them from Mount Calvary. If they come under the authority of spiritual authorities who lead them underneath the old covenant. In Paul's mind, that's tantamount to committing spiritual suicide. It's what he says in earlier in this letter in 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. He says, you show 
that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but tablets of human hearts. Paul distinguished the old covenant, which wrote laws on tablets of stone, and the new covenant in which God writes his law upon our hearts. Um, a little bit later in that, 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6, Paul says that God had made him sufficient as a minister of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Um, I'm going to close. I wrote an article in uh, a, a devotional that went through the book of Corinthians that looked at grace in the book of Corinthians, Vase for Grace. Um, let me read from that as we kind of bring this to a close. <clears throat> it starts with a question. How much should Christians associate with non-Christians? Then there's the text. I'll read it again. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Again, a reading. It says, this passage is frequently used by some Christians to warn other Christians not to date, marry, go into business with, or enter into any type of binding partnership with non-Christians. This is not the point of the passage. To be sure, the Bible encourages followers of Christ to marry other Christians, says in 1 Corinthians 7.39, a, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. However, the Bible does not encourage followers of Christ to isolate themselves from unbelievers. In Paul's writing, he clearly opposes the practice of sacred separatism. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. What then is Paul prohibiting when he writes, do not be yoked together with unbelievers? It appears that false spiritual authorities had infiltrated the church in Corinth and were influencing believers there to practice strict separation from the world. In propagating their views, they would have posed questions such as these. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Paul poses the same questions to the Corinthian believers. His purpose in doing so, however, is not to encourage them to separate from the world. His purpose is to encourage them to separate from the separatists. So again, Paul's point is that he wants these Christians not to come under the influence of those who would encourage them as Christians to separate from the world. What Paul is saying in this passage is not separate from the world, but separate from the separatists. 
Again, I read on. The troublemakers in Corinth had been influenced by the type of religious devotion practiced by the Essenes at Qumran. The Essenes were a group of devout Jews who withdrew into the desert to get away from the worldliness of Jerusalem and the temple. There they practice a strict form of religious devotion akin to that of John the Baptist. At Qumran, Satan was referred to as Belial. Paul took the argument the Essene-influenced false teachers used and turned it against them. His point is not that the Corinthians should separate from secular sinners. Instead, he urges them to separate from sacred separatists. The call God issues to his children is a call to a relationship with him. I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. The relationship that God calls us to is that of a father to sons and daughters. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. When sacred spokespersons minimize the relationship God calls us to and maximizes the relationship God calls us from, they misrepresent God's call. When Paul saw this happening to the Corinthian believers, he reminded them of what God said. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. In our day, we can still find the same type of separatist teaching in the Christian church. In some circles, devotion is measured by the degree to which one withdraws from the world. This kind of thinking is what the passage is discouraging and the type of spiritual influence we are to separate ourselves from. God does not take us out of the world. Jesus said in John seventeen fifteen, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. God sends us into the world. Jesus said in John seventeen eighteen, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your purposes and your promises. You make new covenant promises to us in which you promise to be a father to us and you would have us relate to you as sons and daughters. As such, the yoke we come underneath in following you is not the yoke of the old covenant. You don't focus on who we separate from. You focus on who we connect to. You focus us on our connection with you. And as we come under the awareness that we enter into, the awareness of what the new covenant is, that you put your laws in our minds and write them on our hearts, you promise that you will be our God and we will be sons and daughters. You tell us that you will be merciful to our unrighteousnesses and remember our sins no more. As we understand that, as that covenant becomes more the way we think about you, we end up being the people you want us to be. I pray that you would help us to be clear about that, little by little, that we would be clearer about what it means to be under the new covenant so that we would be able to distinguish those who represent you accurately with those who would lead us to believe that we are blessed when we obey and cursed when we disobey. That is not the covenant that we exist under on this side of the cross. I pray you'd help us to be clear about that little by little. Uh, 
that we would understand um, what it means to be um, under the care of someone, God, who would relate to us as Father, rather than as a master to slaves. In Jesus' name, amen.